You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I think cabin fever, people are getting really stuck for a long time. And so uh, there will be a, a, a rising bookings for hotels, uh, mainly because people are getting ready to plan for their vacation. They really need it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Fleming Shee from Barracuda Networks. We're going to be discussing travel-related phishing attacks. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories here, we got some interesting uh, feedback from a listener who uh, prefers to remain anonymous, but someone Mm -hmm. we've corresponded with uh, on more than one occasion. And this person wrote in and said, this morning I did a check on whether anybody had claimed Gmail accounts using characters close to one of my doctor's business Gmail email accounts. Lo and behold, I discovered two registrations in which the letter I had been replaced with a letter L. His account has two letters I in it. In my opinion, there is simply no way anybody would have signed up for Gmail accounts, which, for example, the word Fairfax had been turned into Farlfax. (laughs) He says, I I informed him of this and suggested he have his receptionist block those two Gmail accounts so she could never be hoodwinked into receiving an email from those accounts and think it was him. He immediately had her do so. I think this is a really good idea. I, I yeah. actually hadn't thought about this, of so coming at this from the the blocking of accounts side. Just go through and look at your own business domain and right. go through and try to generate similar ones and just block those. That's a, right. a great idea. Yeah, this is this is with uh, with email addresses. And it's a great idea for the business to do this so that they can't get scammed. But the issue is that these are probably going to be targeting maybe customers of the business. Actually, maybe not. Maybe they are trying to just to get in because it, it would be very hard to find customers unless you actually breach this business, which would take a lot of effort. And this seems yeah. to me like a low effort thing going on here. So they they might actually be trying to target this this business. So that that is yeah. a good idea. I'll, I'll yeah. yeah. Yep. I like it a lot. It's a simple idea, easy to uh, implement. And uh, there really isn't uh, any downside to it that I can think of. Nobody's ever going to say, I'm a patient and here's my email. It looks very much like yours. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm such a fan of your uh, practice here that <laughs> right. I've, I've modeled my life after it. Uh, yes. All right. Well, thanks to our listener for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Uh, let's get to our stories here. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? Dave, I have a story from Sean Emery, and he is a reporter at the Orange County Register. And they have a story about an Irvine man who was accused of $1 million in romance scams. And this is, uh, his name is Zashawn Stanley Campbell. He's 33 years old and he has been charged with wire fraud, bank fraud, money laundering, and aggravated identity theft. Hmm. I don't know what makes a crime aggravated. Do you? I'm not a lawyer. Maybe that's a good question for Ben. So Campbell has been charged with these crimes for alleged romance scams that he's been conducting over the course of the past six years. And according to the indictment, he either befriended or carried out romantic relationships with at least 10 people to whom he lied in order to convince them that he was wealthy, reliable, and successful. (laughs) 
which is that's right. I have that on my business card, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dave Bittner, podcast host, wealthy, reliable, successful. <laughs> Prosecutors allege that he would tell them he had millions of dollars in various bank accounts, and then he'd show them false bank statements to back up these lies. Hmm. Now, this reminds me of a story from my past. Um, Hopefully. Of course it does. Right. (laughs) This was back in 1999 or thereabouts, and this person was a bit of a scammer. He's one of those people in your life that's Mm -hmm. well-versed in the way of the scam. (laughs) Right. You know, scam way. Do you you know where I'm going, Dave? I think I might. Okay. Continue. (laughs) And uh, we were at his house, and there on his counter in plain view is this W-2 laying out with his name on it. And Mm -hmm. I pick it up, and it has this salary on it, this annual salary on it, that is supposed to be impressive. And he looks at me and he goes, pretty nice, huh? And I know, I know immediately because I grew up with an accountant for a father who did a lot of taxes that, <laughs> that you can just get software that prints these out. And right. You know, it, you can print out W2s for yourself that said you made a million dollars last year. And as long <laughs> as you don't file that with the IRS as a W2 for one of your employees, it's fine. You just shred it and you move on. And yeah. I am almost 100% convinced that's what he was doing, was leaving these things around. You can print up these documents pretty easily, particularly tax documents. With modern technology, it's not even very difficult to come up with fake bank statements. Right. Um, sure. You, you just need to get some imagery from, from the bank, which is available on their website. You have to download it. And you can mm-hmm. make yourself fake bank statements. No right. problem. Campbell is also alleged false claim to have been a Navy SEAL, which he was not who yeah. served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he also claimed to be a successful Bitcoin investor. Why not? I mean, right. you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're all in. I, it might as well. Yeah. Right. So this guy, <laughs> yeah, right, this guy's firing on all cylinders, right? The prosecutors say once he gained their trust, he would ask friends and partners for money. He would say, I need a loan for some medical bills. I need to invest in some real estate. Hey, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin. Now, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Dave, but if somebody comes up to me and says, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin, I'm like, you do that with your money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to invest in Bitcoin, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin. It's easy enough to do. And then uh, finally, he would say he needed to cover some business expenses. Sometimes he would convince these people to pull money from the retirement funds or, or their bank accounts. But the retirement funds, that part to me is just sickening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he would sign fraudulent notes saying that he would pay them back. And then he would use the money to, quote, buy luxury items for himself, make payment on car leases that he had leased to the victims' names, pay personal debts or other personal expenses. I'm reminded of the scene in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where the guy's driving the woman around after Steve Martin scammed her out of money. And Steve Martin's coming out of the shop. Do, 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 do. That's what that's what I think of when I think of this. It, it got worse, Dave. If somebody refused to to lend him money, he would say, "That's okay. I'll just open up some credit cards in your name." And then he'd use the credit cards or the lines of credit. And according to the indictment, at least ten people in Orange County and Los Angeles suffered losses of more than one million dollars. And he was arrested on March sixth at the Dallas Fort Worth airport and is expected to be taken to Los Angeles, which I imagine by now has probably happened. Important note here, Mr. Campbell is entitled to the presumption of innocence. He has only been charged with these crimes. He has not been convicted of them. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I want to say that this is all alleged, but the indictments are, are pretty good. I mean, there are people who have, uh, I, I, they choose this path, right? And they, and they, somewhere along the lines, they find they have a gift for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I guess, you know, once you start down that path, it can be alluring. Right. 
if you're making a million dollars in six years, that's a lot of money by any standard. And I guess it comes easily to the people for whom this is uh, reflexive, but I just can't imagine trying to keep track of that web of lies, you know. Yeah. (laughs) To keep a spreadsheet? I don't know. I mean, it just... uh, Where I'm coming from is I was going to say, well, it beats working for a living, but no, I mean... It is working for a living. It is for working for a living. I mean, uh, albeit, uh, if you're bringing in more than a million dollars from people... You know, nice work if you can get it, I suppose. But yeah, it's a shame. I've my my heart goes out to all the folks who got scammed. I guess the insult to injury is that this is an affair of the heart, right? He's right. he's pulling on people's heartstrings, and uh, that sort of compounds the the level of evil that we're talking about here. Again, yes. allegedly, right? All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting story. We'll have uh, a link to that in the show notes. My story this week uh, actually comes from uh, Fox News, and. Uh, it is uh, titled, Phone Scammer Pretending to be McDonald's CEO Nearly Cons Pennsylvania Restaurant Out of Thousands. This huh. is written by Michael Holland. So, before we get to the story, Joe, have you ever actually met Ronald McDonald? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, maybe when I was very young, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think I have. Years ago, I was uh, when I was uh, you know in the the video side side of the business. I was producing a story on a like a new nonprofit that helped uh, kids in underprivileged areas. And uh, as part of the open grand opening event, Ronald McDonald was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember there was a reporter from the Washington Post who was trying to get a statement from Ronald McDonald. And the reporter <laughs> was getting very frustrated because he said and the reporter said, "So uh, what is your name?" And and he said, "Ronald McDonald." <laughs> and the reporter said, "Yeah, I get it, but like, what's your name?" Ronald McDonald. Okay, I, I what, but but what is your name? My name is Ronald McDonald. <laughs> just, the guy was not breaking character. No, no, and that, that's you know that's the rule. If you're Ronald McDonald, you are Ronald McDonald. You're you know right. You're, it's like that's it. It's like when you're in character at Disney, you do not break character in that in that role. Exactly, exactly. Now the other stories. I remember when I was uh, when one of my boys was younger, and we were at the local McDonald's where Ronald McDonald's making an appearance. You know, he does a little magic show and so forth. Uh, and uh, this Ronald McDonald had a very, very thick Baltimore accent. Which, <laughs> which he looked spot on, but uh, it was Jimmy was definitely, Yeah, he was <laughs> definitely the regional uh, local Ronald McDonald. Right. So anyway, I bring all that up because I couldn't help thinking in my mind that uh, that these poor people at the McDonald's, the manager of this McDonald's actually got a phone call from Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> That's and that's how he fell for the scam. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> and he turns to one of his coworkers. And he says, "Oh my god, you know, you know, did you know who's on the phone? <laughs> no, who? The man himself, <laughs> Ronald. What, who? <laughs> Ronald is actually on the phone. Are you kidding me? He, yes, it's Ronald. <laughs> what does he want you to do? He wants me to go across the street to the liquor store and buy a bunch of gift cards. Well, you got to do it. I mean, it's Ronald McDonald. <laughs> so, anyway." Um, <laughs> I don't think that is not what happened. (laughs) It's very funny to imagine. Yeah, it is funny to imagine. But actually what happened was someone called a McDonald's and spoke to the manager and convinced this person that they were the CEO of McDonald's and got them to take money out of the till to the tune of about $4,000. Uh-huh. Because McDonald's uh, restaurants actually make a pile of money every single day. Oh yeah, no, it's a it's it's a great business, uh, right. and this manager did it. Went across the street to another store that sells gift cards, bought a bunch of uh, prepaid gift or debit cards. Only at the point where they were about to turn over the numbers, 
uh, realized that maybe something had gone wrong here. Right. And uh, reached out to, um, I believe, the FBI. And the scam was thwarted before uh, they, the bad guys actually got the money. All, all's well that ends well. They got the money back. You know, the gift cards were canceled and all that sort of thing. But it was interesting to me because we hear about these gift card scams all the time. But I hadn't heard of someone focusing on a, a fast food place like this. No. And certainly uh, using the, the claiming to be the CEO of McDonald's, I suppose, would add a certain amount of gravitas to the claim. Right, right. I mean, not as much as claiming to be Ronald McDonald, but, yeah, right, you know. that, would, <laughs> that would be one that would get me. Dave. <laughs> That's right, I'd be, exactly. I'd be like, oh my, you got my attention now, Mr. McDonald. <laughs> That's right, free french fries for life. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, normally we think of somebody, of, of this happening to somebody who might not have a lot of life experience, but this is a, a general manager of McDonald's yeah, not a small business, you know. Right. Like I mean, like we, like you said, McDonald's. I mean, that's a, that is a busy. Most McDonald's are busy businesses handling lots of money, and I mean, being a, a manager of McDonald's is a lot, a whole spectrum of responsibilities. It is, and the fact that this person almost fell for this, I'm not really surprised by that because, like we said before, there are plenty of hooks that will work on just about everybody. And all that happened here was the scammer found the one hook for this manager. That would work. And I guess he was insistent enough that the guy actually went through the process of taking money out of the till and going and buying gift cards. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's, uh, you know, a funny story only because I can't stop thinking about actually getting a phone call from <laughs> Ronald McDonald. <laughs> okay. All's well that ends well. I'm glad the scammers didn't get what they wanted to. But it's another reminder that probably one of the biggest red flags, like a flare in the sky, is if someone right. asks you to go buy any sort of gift card or anything. So. Yep. You know, spread the word about that. That's my story. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Tariq. And Tariq writes, Dear Hacking Humans Podcast, after being a listener to your show for some months now, I might have something worthy of sharing. I usually blindly delete such emails as they are apparent phishing, but I found myself in an interesting spot and recognize a new attack vector that just worked on me. Ah, see, Tariq knows. These things, mm -hmm. like I just said, these things will work on you too. They are raising the stakes with not a single, but two gentlemen trying to reach me with the power of attorney and claiming authority that I was dead. That brought the game up a little bit. Uh, mm. Therefore, in line with some of the other great literary achievements of this fine brand of email, Hacking Humans has just become the prize recipient of the Unlikely Fishing Hook of the Year Award presented by the Institute of Questionable Intentions. Very nice. <laughs> I love that very much. Which of us gets to keep the uh, award at our house? I guess we can switch weeks. Yeah, yeah, we'll switch weeks. That's a good way to do it. That way we don't have to divide up the weeks, you know, the days right. and then sure. like every yeah. other Saturday. Just we'll switch yeah. weeks. Right. Okay. Wishing you all the best. Keep up the great show you put on at Hacking Humans. Dave, why don't you take it away? Dear beneficiary, we wish to inform you that a power of attorney was forwarded to our office by two gentlemen regarding your unclaimed fund of $56 million. One of them is an American citizen named Mr. Robert Porter, and the other is Mr. Wilhelmberg, a Swedish citizen. We'll be waiting for you to contact us since last year. The document claims these gentlemen to be your authorized representatives, and the power of attorney states that you are already deceased. 
It further states that your death was due to lung cancer, with your date of death being January 27, 2020. They have now submitted a new account to replace the receiving account that was in the original claim of funds. These funds have remained unclaimed for quite some time, and the need for resolution is pressing. Below is the account that they have submitted. In the event that you are in fact still alive, we ask that you confirm your existence by responding to this email. If you will view this as a matter of requiring immediate attention and response, we have 48-hour monitoring of all activities within Federal Reserve Bank. On this regard, you will be directed to our office center that you will go in person to sign the final papers because we have our payment center in Europe, Asia, America, and Canada. You will go to any of the office that you will be directed with a copy of the accounts in your fund. We have contacted the bank into Sweden, and we asked them to wait for further directives from Federal Reserve Bank prior to authorizing any withdrawals in any form. Our request is based entirely on our attempt to verify that you are in fact deceased before money is wrongly dispersed. Yours in service, Robert to Stephen Kaplan, Dallas, United States. Pork, pork, pork. <laughs> this is great. Uh, first off, can individuals open an account with the Federal Reserve Bank? I don't think they can. I don't think so. <laughs> I think the Federal Reserve Bank is a bank that only does business with other banks. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah. Right. Uh, I like that how they have forty-eight hour monitoring. So uh, apparently they're trying to put a time horizon in there, but they kind of botched that sentence. So normally right. you say 24-hour monitoring, so we know what's going on. But 48-hour monitoring? What is that? I, I don't know. 48 on, 24 off? Who knows? Yeah. Thank you, Tariq, for sending that in. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Fleming Shi from Barracuda Networks. We were discussing travel-related phishing attacks. Here's my conversation with Fleming Shi. If you look at the pandemic has gone through, it's uh, hopefully the full uh, life cycle, but it's getting to the point where vaccines are available now. People are uh, getting vaccinated. Uh, in the 2020, uh, in that year, in last year, um, the major attacks that happened on healthcare, on logistics, uh, including logistics for uh, PPEs, as well as to all the way to vaccine, cold chain, all that happened. Uh, the next phase for the targets will be people who are getting back out there, uh, really kind of enjoy the, the world, right? I mean, if you think about traveling through the holidays, I was pretty surprised how many people actually got on the plane and, uh, you know, really <laughs> tried to see yeah. their family, right? I think cabin fever, people are getting really stuck for a long time. And so, uh, there will be a, a, a rising bookings for hotels, uh, mainly because people are getting ready to plan for their vacation. They really need it. Yeah, it seems as, as though there's a lot of pent-up demand when it comes to travel. As you say, people are having cabin fever. And, and so with that resurgence of activity in that area, what particular uh, areas are you all focused on? What do you think uh, the bad guys are going to target? You know, in 2018-19, travel was uh, already targeted, right? So if you mm. remember, Marriott was attacked like two times in in two years, 2019 and 2020. They were basically subject to data breach. Hundreds of millions of guests' uh, private information were stolen. And if you think about that, if you, uh, from attacker's angle, that's perfect storm. They can see they can get the information, they can do mass volumetric type of phishing attacks, or they can target somebody and social engineer and make it even more trustworthy. So basically, 
having all that data out there, that includes information such as the travel behavior where you like to go, including your maybe loyalty related program information. If they want to craft something that is very trustworthy, they can do that pretty easily, right? And and it can fool people. Then of course that leads to impersonation of sites. Could be a booking site or reservation system that looks legit, but behind the scene they're harvesting your credentials. I'm pretty sure when they lost uh, the data, they didn't lose all the passwords, but they lost uh, email information, birthday information, all sorts, right? Birthday celebration type of situation, they could craft something that's very targeted or potentially more volumetric, as I mentioned. But the, the key there is when those crafted attacks happen, they will look real. And, and those credentials that was not stolen in the past, and it can be harvested through those phishing impersonation attacks. So once you lose your credential, then from that point on, you may lose access, what we call the takeover. Of course, in in email terms, we have a lot of solution to protect you on that. But from, let's say, if you're just using a booking site or a reservation site, you lose your credential. Basically, I think the attackers can get in there and further penetrate through your travel behavior and try to figure out your payment information. All that stuff can happen. The reason I want to provide the backdrop is like, this is not just new this year. It's just going to be probably... (laughs) more well-prepared for the bad guys to, to launch these attacks. Yeah. Well, what sort of things can consumers do? I mean, knowing that this is likely to be on the horizon here, are there some things that we can do preemptively to make sure that we're, we're less likely to get hit by this sort of thing? Definitely. There's a few things you should be considering. First of all, this is for travel preparation stage, right? Once you get on the road, that's another set of things you need to worry about. But before you get on the road, I would say uh, be very cognizant about clicking on links that offers really great deals that may not look real. Secondly, when you get to the site, if you don't have a password manager, I, I would recommend really strong passwords. So password managers provide system-generated passwords, which is much harder to guess, right? Very random. You will still have the convenience of actually getting into the site. But if the reservation site has like multi-factor or two-factor authentication, you want to utilize those features because passwords still can be stolen, even system generated. So my thinking here is it's really important to, while you plan your trip, besides all the COVID pandemic related things you have to worry about, Mm. really have to pay attention to where you're clicking, where you're going, check the certificates on the site. If you don't have a password manager, at least validate this is the site you're going to, watch out for typo squatting uh, domains and basic impersonation uh, that could be trying to get you to put in your password. The other element is be very careful of using SIM passwords while you're using travel reservation sites versus your bank account and other work-related. Try to do your best to not cross them because right, uh, if right. your, your password gets stolen, it can quickly turn into a much worse problem if they get into your bank. Uh, getting to your VPN, getting to your workplace. So yeah, it's pretty important to really think through how you are handling the travel reservations. 
Now, you mentioned, you know, once you get on the road, there are things to be concerned about as well. I mean, if you can, you know, I'm imagining being out there, maybe taking a road trip and, you know, stopping to, to get gas or get a snack, stop at a restaurant or something, or or maybe if I'm flying, you know, stopping at the airport to buy things. Uh, lots of opportunities here for folks to take advantage of somebody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, travel, it's definitely not just flying, right? If you go to the train, if you're doing any type of travel that takes a long time, there's waiting areas and you have to watch out for Wi-Fi hotspots that might be also impersonated or fake ones. Uh, because you know how it is, like when you go to a place when it was really safe, maybe before the pandemic <laughs> or before cyber <laughs> attacks were this prevalent and scary, uh, people were like join some type of lounge Wi-Fi or any type of waiting area or free Wi-Fi, right? So then, right. then your system asks you, do you want to remember this? So next time you come in here, it's super convenient. You're already online. And you have to be very careful. And to basically, before you travel, um, especially this year, just forget all the things that, all the Wi-Fi hotspots uh, from your network list. Um, just make sure you delete them. Because those Wi-Fi, if they don't have strong security, um, somebody can create a, a fake Wi-Fi hotspot with the same name. It could actually end up you've been connected to a very uh, uh, adversary type of well, bad, ill-intended uh, hotspot, which they can monitor your traffic or packets or where you're going. So that's one thing to pay attention to. Uh, Wi-Fi hotspots are dangerous. I would actually, because LTEs and the 5G is already here, if you can, um, just turn on Wi-Fi. I, um, maybe turn mm. it off. And uh, when you really need a Wi-Fi, let's say your laptop doesn't have SIM card or cellular capability, or you don't have a MiFi or anything like that, what you can do is use your phone, create a hotspot through LTE or 5G, and let your own device connect to your phone, then go, uh, then, then access the internet, right? So right. That, yeah, that way you you avoid the situation where you, you, you will end up joining a, a malicious uh, hot, Wi-Fi hotspot. So I think that's, that's one thing people can... Uh, use and the, the beauty is a lot of phones today is 5g capable so i'm pretty sure if there is connectivity that the carrier provides minus of course you know watch out for your data plan um so with that i think it's a uh, important advice i think and the finally just like working from home uh if you use your own laptop for work i recommend if your company don't provide it somehow get uh zero trust type of uh agent or network access agent onto your laptop before you travel. So that way you're not just logging to VPN, you know, through IPsec, and you are really limited as a minimal set of uh, uh, access so you can do your job, right? You don't want to have a full VPN turn on and things can go bad um, because the whole IP before uh, stack is open potentially. Um, so I think that's really important. Plus uh, most of the zero trust uh, network access agents or solutions provides a posture measurement, constant monitoring of where you are. Uh, if you're on a, let's just say you missed a, a patch for your OS operating system, uh, it might actually shut the access off uh, to a certain SaaS application you use for work. That will, will protect your workplace. Joe, what do you think? Very interesting interview, Dave. Do we think of travel as a vector for cyber attacks? I generally don't do that, but it's true that there's been a lot of attacks on travel organizations like Marriott is a great example. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Affinity programs are a great way to collect data of value. 
And you may not think about this. One of the things I tell people when I'm speaking is that malicious actors have ways of monetizing just about everything, uh, things you would (laughs) never think of. I'm reminded of the story that you told about when you were at Walgreens Mm -hmm. and the phone rings and the person on the other end is just giving out phone numbers and the clerk at the the store is going, no, there's no balance on that one. No, there's no balance on that one either. Your thinking is... These guys are just calling in with phone numbers and seeing who has a balance on their account so they can just go in and go, yeah, here's my Walgreens account number and I'll take all this stuff for free, thanks. That's just an affinity program. It's the same kind of thing. You earn points when you shop there and you can get free stuff from time to time or discounts off of things. There are other things like that. Like there's uh, around our area, you can get discounts on gasoline at Shell if you shop at a uh, giant food. So these things all have value to somebody. Fleming makes a great point. He says that attackers may not have gotten access to password hashes in this data breach, but they have gotten enough information they they can conduct very convincing phishing campaigns. So now it's just a matter of running the phishing campaign to get the passwords and then get access to someone's account. Right. These attacks are not new, but because we're getting back to traveling again, these attacks are going to increase on the rise. This is the same thing we've been saying for years now that... These bad guys keep an eye on the calendar. They keep an eye on the social situations. They keep an eye on the news. They know what's going on. And they know where the market's by. These guys are almost like stock investors, right? When hurricane season starts, people start investing in Home Depot for some reason because they think that there's going to be a big run on the Home Depot for the wood to board up your house or for uh, when a major disaster strikes, they invest in the lumber industry because they know that the lumber industry is about to get a windfall. These guys are doing the exact same thing. Great advice to use multi-factor authentication and a password manager. Fleming also talked about password reuse and gave a great use case of why that's bad. You know, if you're using your the same password on your Affinity program or your Marriott Rewards points or whatever airline you fly, and then that gets fished, and you use that same email and password on your bank account, they're just going to credential stuff that's set across all the financial website. So if, if you do, they're going to find it. It's automated. They, they probably already have a script that does that. And then Fleming talks about not using public Wi-Fi and deleting these Wi-Fi networks saved in your computer and your mobile phone. And just instead, use your mobile phone hotspot. I activated this on my account a few years ago, and I have never looked back. 4G LTE is faster than my first three high-speed internet connections. <laughs> right, right, right. So, <laughs> and it is more than fast enough I'm doing this podcast on a 4G LTE connection right now through my hotspot on my phone. It is plenty fast. I've gotten in the past 68 megabits per second on a T-Mobile connection. And that costs me about 10 bucks a month. Well worth it. Well worth it. So whatever, whoever your mobile provider is, get the mobile hotspot activated on your phone and then just use that. And you really don't have to worry about trying to use public Wi-Fi anymore. Yeah. No, good advice. Uh, And uh, again, we appreciate uh, Fleming Shi for taking the time uh, for us. And we appreciate you all for taking the time to listen to our show. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.